Hello, and welcome to this very special edition of the To The Stars podcast. Today, we're at the centennial celebration of Fort MacArthur. And right now, we're at the opening ceremony as given by Colonel Ann Eigold. Just listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the historic Fort MacArthur. What a beautiful day to celebrate our military history and heritage. As you heard, the base honors the legacy and service of one of our nation's heroes, Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur, a U.S. Army Civil War veteran. Interestingly, Arthur MacArthur and his more well-known son, General Douglas MacArthur, were the first father and son awarded the Medal of Honor, our nation's highest military award. To date, the only other father and son who have been awarded the Medal of Honor were President Roosevelt and his son. As you explore the different areas we proudly put on display today, you will learn many more interesting facts about the transformation of this historic installation over the last 100 years. You will experience heritage aircraft flyovers and can get up close to historic equipment brought down from the museum. We hope that you enjoy the displays of current military technology brought out by our joint brothers and sisters like the U.S. Coast Guard cutter that you see on display and our amazing information booths capturing the critical capabilities and emerging warfighter technology developed and acquired by our Space and Missile Systems Center who bring space capabilities to the joint warfighter. Please check them out and ask our volunteers all kinds of questions. They're ready and it's an exciting time to be involved in space. Also, thank you to the Fort MacArthur Museum, Mr. Steve Nelson, for bringing all of your amazing equipment to share the heritage of this installation with us today. Everyone manning the booths, whether you're helping in the kids zone or over at the community center for Oktoberfest later today, we couldn't have done this heritage event without your assistance. I'd also like to thank the individual who sang the national anthem this morning. Can we give him a round of applause? That was truly And our amazing troops out on the field who are representing our proud military. Thanks for all the volunteers who are taking care of you. Thank you to our defenders and our civil engineers, from our force support team and medical team, to our comp support and financial experts who make this possible today. We couldn't do this without a large team of dedicated volunteers. I'd also like to recognize our community leaders and our sponsors who helped put this event on today, and to past and current SMC leaders, uh, like our current and terrific leader, Lieutenant General Thompson, who's here with us today. A special thank you to Dennis Lord, who is the driving force behind all of the flyovers that we're going to enjoy throughout the afternoon. And last but not least, to the director of this entire event and my deputy, Lieutenant Colonel Keith White. How about a round of applause for all of these rock stars? In closing, General Arthur MacArthur seized the colors of his regiment at a critical moment during the Civil War, earning him the Medal of Honor. And today, we are seizing the moment to celebrate 100 years of history here in San Pedro. And it's our great honor to do so. So thank you for coming, and have a safe and great day. So here we are at the centennial anniversary of Fort MacArthur, and I'm here with Lieutenant General John Thompson. So uh, General Thompson, please tell us a little bit about the significance of today. So a hundred years ago, the construction was completed here at uh, Fort MacArthur, which at that time was an army installation here in San Pedro, California. In the early 1980s, the 
uh, ownership of the installation transferred from the United States Army uh, to the United States Air Force, and we use it primarily for military family housing here in the Los Angeles Basin. There's about 25% of the people that live here are United States Air Force, and then the rest of the folks are representative of the other services of the United States military, plus we have some civil servants and retirees that live on base in the nearly 600 units that we have here in San Pedro at three different locations. Got it. And then, so the significance of today then is this was the location that was actually protecting the the West Coast. When the reservation was first established in the 1880s and then formally in 1914 when it was designated Fort MacArthur, the installation was primarily used for coastal defense. So in its early days, coastal defense meant uh, large artillery and mortar batteries protecting the port of Los Angeles. And then subsequently in later years during the Missile Age, from the 1950s through the 1970s, we had uh, Nike surface-to-air missiles for defense of the West Coast uh, from airborne threats. That's, that's amazing. And then with, with your current command, um, what I find fascinating is just uh, the protection of, of all airspace. Whatever you can say about that, with your, uh, that's, where we come, that's where we've met you. Yeah, John, I'm the commander of the Air Force's Space and Missile Systems Center, and what our job is to do is to procure the United States Air Force's and the Department of Defense's satellite and rocket launch capabilities, as well as ground control of our nation's most important military satellites. So the missions that we accomplish in terms of that procurement are things like uh, positioning, navigation, and timing. So you're very familiar, I'm sure, with our nation's uh, global positioning system, our GPS constellation. Uh, That's that's right, those satellites satellites are United States Air Force satellites and they were all procured here at Space and Missile Systems Center. But some of our other satellite communications, some of our other satellite systems do military unique communications, remote sensing, which is missile warning and weather, and a number of other experimental things that we do on orbit are all procured right here uh, in Los Angeles, California at the Space and Missile System Center. Great, that's awesome, and thank you very much. We very much appreciate everything that you and the Air Force does to, to protect us and make it possible for us to even have our Hollywood Christmas parade, which is where we uh, celebrate the last two years with you uh, riding the P-51. I mean, hopefully we'll see you again. If not, we'll have, uh, I'm sure, some other uh, uh, representative from the Air Force to be able to, uh, I guess, ride down the streets of Hollywood in, uh, in our little mini jets. Thanks, John, and thanks to you and Emily for coming out here for uh, our centennial celebration at Fort Mac. Great, thank you. And here we are now with Francisco Lacey, the museum guide at Fort MacArthur Museum. We're here on the, on the fairgrounds at Fort MacArthur where we have all types of equipment and artifacts from World War II, and Francisco is going to give us a bit of an overview of just what happened with Fort MacArthur during World War II. Well, Fort MacArthur was built to protect the harbor of Los Angeles over 100 years ago. The major gun emplacements, one of which Battery Osgood Farley is where the museum is today, they started construction September 15, 1916, completed construction October 10, 1919. And they had some of the biggest disappearing guns in the continental United States, with one exception. So the Army had about 20 of these 14-inch disappearing rifles, 
And of those 20, there were only four in the continental U.S. All four were here at Fort MacArthur. And to me, Fort MacArthur is an extremely well-preserved example uh, as a landmark in the evolution of continental defense. And so uh, the museum itself has an extensive collection of vehicles and weapons and radios and equipment that the Army used throughout its history. We, uh, the bulk of our collection focuses on World War II because, of course, that's when the enemy threat was greatest here. And most people don't know that uh, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, nine Japanese Navy submarines took up strategic positions up and down the west coast of the United States and began attacking commercial ships. Uh, Christmas Eve of 1941, there were two Japanese uh, attacks on ships off the coast here. The SS Barbara Olsen at 6.30 in the morning uh, was narrowly missed by a Japanese torpedo in the Catalina Channel right here on her way down to San Diego. And then 10.30 a.m. the same morning, the SS Absaroka, which was a lumber freighter out of the Columbia River area, was struck by a Japanese torpedo six miles off the coast here on her way into the harbor entrance of Los Angeles. Now, these submarines would hide beneath the waves and use their periscope to aim and uh, they'd fire the torpedo and submerge and depart before the torpedo even impacted the target. The uh, submarines did not present uh, a target to the big guns, but you could argue that the big guns were also a deterrent to those submarines because if it wasn't for the presence of those big guns, then like what happened with the SS Montebello up the coast, they could have, from the surface, uh, fired at this ship with impunity. So. Uh, the guns here kept the submarines beneath the waves. They got a Navy sub-chaser to drop 32 depth charges in the last known location of that submarine. Now the next day, somebody thought they spotted a submarine off Redondo Beach. They figured maybe it was damaged in making repairs. So uh, Battery C-105 Field Artillery took a 75mm gun from the upper reservation of the fort, parked it on the end of the Redondo Beach Pier, and fired 10 rounds at the suspected submarine. Uh, and it's amazing, and most people don't know about that. You'd think that would be something that would stick in local lore. Yeah. Back at the museum, we've got the documents from the Army. It's say Battery C 105th Field Artillery is awarded for firing on Japanese submarine. However, word of mouth has it that it turned out to be a piece of floating trash. So uh, they still got the award for their action, but uh, whether or not they actually uh, made a difference that day is unknown. But uh, uh, you know, the stories of this post are very interesting, and I, literally I could talk to you about all day about this stuff. But really, to get a full grasp, you got to come up to the batteries, you got to see the scale and scope of these uh, gun emplacements. So are these open to general uh, public to go up there? Right. The Fort MacArthur Museum is open every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from noon to 5. You know, like I said, the, these things, they're relics of the past. You know, the guns themselves may be gone, but, uh, you know, the bits of concrete and the underground tunnels and everything, it's almost like discovering dinosaur bones from a romantic age when giant guns roam the earth, so to speak. You know, this is something that the Army's probably never going to do again because of the development of missiles and atomic weapons. You know, you think about it. The, these gun emplacements were designed in 1915. Combat aircraft was not really a thing in 1915. So literally, as these gun emplacements are being built, combat aircraft is being developed and proven during World War I overseas in Europe. And so by the time they're complete, they're essentially obsolete already. The 14-inch disappearing guns up the hill were open to the air. So, uh, you know, a little biplane with uh, wooden wings and canvas, you know, can come drop ordnance on and destroy the whole 341 ton weapon system. Uh, 
but after the attack on Pearl Harbor, it's still all they had to defend the harbor. So they put camouflage netting over the top of the guns and put anti-aircraft batteries around the area and started building newer, more modern gun emplacements. Another thing to think about, too, is uh, the anti-aircraft suite. Now, over 50% of the nation's aircraft production uh, was here in the Los Angeles area, which, again, made er, Southern California that much more important to defend than the rest of the, the nation. Right. But uh, there was a coastal defense fort similar to Fort MacArthur around every major harbor in the country. Now, uh, Fort MacArthur was the headquarters for the harbor defenses of Los Angeles. Uh, San Diego, you had Fort Rosecrans. Up at uh, uh, Presidio San Francisco was sort of like the headquarters for the de all the Western Defense Command. And uh, Fort MacArthur was the headquarters for the Southern California sector. So uh, Fort MacArthur played an integral part during the defenses during World War II uh, to protect the uh, aviation plants and uh, the shipbuilding activities here in the harbor and just general security for the port in general. Thank you very much, Francisco. And now we are at the Gold Star Pavilion, and I'm very excited now that we're able to uh, uh, speak with someone who has a, a very unique perspective on why this is such an important event that we're celebrating. Uh, my name's Ken Sturgill. I'm here with my wife, Tammy Sturgill. Uh, we're Gold Star families. Uh, for those that don't know, Gold Star families are families that have lost a member of the armed services in duty. And so that means for us, our son at 21 years old passed away. So uh, this, this area here is an opportunity for us to share with other families, with other service members, what happens to uh, the survivors. It gives them uh, peace of mind that the Air Force, in this case, takes care of their own, offers us an opportunity to remain part of the Air Force family. And for my wife and I, it gives us an opportunity to continue the life of service that our son started. It gives us a chance to give back to the community and give back to the Air Force. That's really, I think, very important to do. Before we started talking here, um, when we first met, we were talking about the whole subject of service and, and the importance of serving or being served. And you have, yours is a perspective that very much I agree with. So uh, please elucidate on that. Well, one of the core values of the Air Force is service before self. And that's something that our family has always believed in long before we were involved at all. If we were the first ones to a wedding, we would be helping set up the tables. And if we were the last ones there, we'd help clean up. It, we can't not help. And so, uh, obviously, our son adopted those same values. Uh, and in his case, he went into the uh, Air Force it's called the Guardian Angel Platform, which is the Air Force version of the Special Operations, and uh, he was in the specific area of SEER Specialist. So, Can you explain what SEER is? Uh, yes, I can, uh, within limited reason. Uh, SEER is Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. So SEER, their motto is to return with honor, and their job is very, very specific. If any of our airmen are going to be in harm's way, if they're going to be put in a position where they could be behind enemy lines or in a hostile environment, they must go through this training. Now, our son was set up to be an instructor to teach this course, but anybody that goes in harm's way has to go through this course, and it teaches them how to survive after a plane crash or going down behind lines, how to evade capture, 
in the case that there was a, uh, they were captured, how to resist, uh, to hold their honor and not to give away any secrets, and then how to escape. Uh, it's, it's a very demanding course. Uh, it is very, very critical. It's one of the worst, most difficult training that you can go through, but people that have completed that training have said it's the most important training that they've ever had. That makes sense. So on the subject of, um, of just giving, how, how do you see that as part of today's celebration? Well, hopefully the public realizes that the military is entirely about service. Uh, these, these young men and women, uh, they're not paid highly. Um, they don't have vacations and days off and time like you and I think of. Uh, there is no such thing as a weekend for them. Uh, so they must have that, that, that core value of service before self. This, this celebration here is an opportunity to, to recognize what these people do day in and day out. Thank you very much. We recognize and respect what the men and women in the armed services do day in and day out to guarantee a free future for all of us. So we thank you. In his introduction to Battlefield Earth, Erwin Hubbard wrote that science fiction, particularly in its golden age, had a mission, beating the drum to get man to the stars. And that's what we've been celebrating today. Thank you for listening. The To The Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to this objective. Subscribe to the To The Stars podcast wherever you find your podcasts.